Hello, and welcome to Hattrick. Happy holidays. This is our very special look back at the 2021 year in sports. We had our last episode of the season uh, last week. This week is a very special episode. We have compiled three of our favorite topics. Braden Elliott and I have gone back into the archives and picked three topics, one each, that we really feel captures what the year was like. Or maybe something we just thought was a lot of fun. Uh, each of us will introduce our own topic for you, and, and you can listen back and, and, and remember what the year was like. Uh, Elliot will take it away first. Here he goes. All right. Up first uh, is the conversation. I think a really important one. It's back on uh, from the show that we released on November 1st, so, so not that long ago. But one that I'm choosing for two reasons. Uh, one, because I thought it was a really strong segment. And it had one of our, our, my favorite guests uh, hosts on. Um, two, because we as a show have made a commitment to continuing the conversation around uh, how sports need to be doing better. And I wanted to, to use this as an opportunity. If I was going to replay a segment, I wanted to replay one uh, that talked about that so that it was still, it remains fresh in people's minds. So what I'm talking about is a conversation between Jordan Larice and myself about the Blackhawk sexual assault scandal. Uh, it was very, very raw. Uh, we had only just received the report, I think that Thursday or Friday, and we recorded on the Sunday. Uh, and there was information still coming out as we were recording the episode. And I think that rawness uh, and that frustration and that anger over what we learned in the report about the Chicago Blackhawks um, is really present in uh, in that conversation. Um, but I it, and I think it speaks to our passion for this game that we love and this sport that we love, uh, and 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 our it was us demanding better of those that run it. Um, and so we'll start with something a little bit more somber, but I think an important conversation and the types of conversations I'm looking forward to continuing to have in 2022 as we start to change the culture of sports. Okay, so just before we start this, I just want to give a quick um, warning. Some of the things we're gonna discuss in this conversation may be triggering to some people. We will discuss sexual violence, um, sexual assault, and uh, we wanted to offer an opportunity for you to, first, if you feel like this is something you're not comfortable with, definitely, you know, uh, step away from this conversation. And of course, at all times, most importantly, if you are the victim of sexual assault in any situation, just call 911, get help, report it. Um, So with that, we'll start our conversation. So obviously, uh, the biggest news coming out of the NHL this week has been uh, the revelation and the continuing um, development in the sexual assault, a cover-up and scandal surrounding the Blackhawks. We had a good long conversation about this a few months back after some of the great reporting by TSN's Rick Westhead, who has really been the um, at the forefront of reporting and, and, and uncovering the story. There was an unidentified player who had stepped forward with a lawsuit against the Chicago Blackhawks organization, citing a incident in 2010 during the Stanley Cup playoffs where he reported to a member of the staff that he had been sexually assaulted by a member of the coaching staff. That was Brad Aldridge, who at the time was their video coach. Uh, He reported this. And then there was subsequent reporting that the organization had held secret meetings discussing this and basically agreed to cover up the incident and not report it. Uh, These conversations seemed to be uh, right at the top of the organization, general management, and perhaps even up to ownership. 
Um, this week on Wednesday, Kyle Beach stepped forward as John Doe, uh, revealing himself to be the player uh, at the heart of this lawsuit. Incredibly brave, incredibly um, courageous by Kyle Beach to step forward. He spoke with Rick Westhead on TSN in a very, um, uh, frankly, hard to, to, to watch and hard to listen to interview. Um, someone who's obviously been suffering through trauma from this incident for over a decade now uh, and has been the subject of so much um, innuendo and, and, and rumor because, again, as a, a, you know, until he stepped forward himself, it was unclear who it was, but he himself has obviously had to be dealing not only with the original trauma, but now this, this as the, as the um, new reporting has, has brought it all back up to the surface, obviously, it, it, it reignites that trauma for him. So first and foremost, unbelievable um, courage on his behalf. This was right at the same time that the investigation that had been conducted um, into the situation with Chicago was coming to light. Stan Bowman, the general manager of the Chicago Blackhawks now, and at that time resigned uh, this week following um, the revelations in that investigation. Several other members of the organization, including Al uh, McIsaac, stepped down. Uh, a few days after, Gary Bettman arranged meetings with both Kevin Dayoff of the Winnipeg Jets, who was at the time the assistant general manager in Chicago, as well as Joel Quinville, who was the head coach of the Chicago Blackhawks in 2010. Following his conversation with Joel Quenville, Joel Quenville resigned as the head coach of the now Florida Panthers. And following his conversation with Gary Bettman, uh, it was determined that Kevin Cheveldayoff's involvement did not merit um, resignation. We can discuss that in a second. Uh, and following all of this, the, the the last sort of step the NHL has taken thus far is that Gary Bettman has um, spoken directly to Kyle Beach, offered full financial support for anything um, uh, trauma-wise, counseling-wise, support-wise he needs moving forward. Um, but obviously, he still has an active lawsuit against the Chicago Blackhawks, who are still very much in damage control at this point. Many of the players that were on that organization, none of whom have been disciplined in any way, have come forward with different levels of um, response, I guess we'll put it that way. That's a long uh, uh, sort of as much detail as I as I am prepared to sort of lay out for you for those who are not in the loop on this. But let's get into it here, Elliot. I'm sure you had many responses and reactions when you first heard this news. Um, you've had a few days to digest it. Where are you with all of this right now? Uh, well, first, let me speak on your guys' behalf uh, as well, because I, I know you feel the same way about this. I just want to commend the bravery of Kyle Beach coming forward. That's an immensely difficult thing to do, what he did this week, um, to move forward with the lawsuit, but also to come out publicly and talk about his experience. Um, and, uh, you know, I just want to acknowledge the bravery in that to start. And I think I speak for all of us on the show. Um, Brayden included when, when we you know commend him for that as a podcast um digesting it's an interesting word I don't know that I fully digested this I want to start by saying you know I'm glad that we're taking this seriously as a show and we're, we're we're putting all the resources and time into it to talk about it today but I think that this is an ongoing conversation I think that we're not done here yet there's still a lot of questions uh that are left un, uh, unanswered um and one of the things that I think I'm committed to as a as an NHL fan and and as someone who has a medium to speak is to continue to push this forward just because Joe Quenville is no longer working um, and a number of individuals, as you mentioned, aren't working doesn't mean that this is over. And frankly, I think that uh, we need to continue to drive this conversation. I have, I am deeply disappointed in Cheval uh, Dayov and where that, that has ended. I felt his statement in July was lawyer speak and he positioned himself to get out of this, but uh, I mean, he knew 
And just because you're not in a powerful position in an organization doesn't mean you don't you didn't know where the end consequences were. Uh, and this is not about workplace or it's about just doing the right thing. Um, so I have major issues with that. I think I was incredibly disappointed with the Edmonton Oilers and Duncan Keith. I thought his response was uh, unacceptable. I found all of the responses from the players in this team, uh, Kane, Taves, all of them incredibly disappointing. Uh, everyone looking out for themselves, but there was clearly workplace behaviors and inappropriate stuff that was done afterwards uh, that is unacceptable. Uh, and so that's a conversation that needs to be had. I also think that there's, there's a giant void for me in terms of the players union. The players union said virtually nothing. And I don't understand why that is. And it just feels to me like there's a lot more shoes to drop and a lot more people looking to distance themselves or take care of their own interests rather than doing what's right. So you might be able to tell from my tone, I'm a little pissed off. Larice. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm pretty angry. <laughs> um, I think um, Elliot was very, very articulate and eloquent in, in his anger and I may be less. So um, I think Taves' response was bullshit. I think Kane's was as well not shocking. Um, I am furious that the Blackhawks put out a legal speak apology, but continue to, uh, um, you know, fight a lawsuit, um, that they know they're in the wrong for. Um, I think Duncan Keith's response was safe and embarrassing. I think Tippett's response was safe and embarrassing and old boys club. Um, I think, there are very few people who have come out and eloquently or emotionally or with heart spoke to this. Um, Tyson Berry is one person I feel has, uh, has tried to speak in a, in a, in a way that is empathetic okay. and compassionate. Um, I was impressed with Taylor Hall's response. I'm not always, I'm not Taylor Hall's biggest fan. Everyone is aware of that, but I was impressed with Taylor Hall's response for calling out um, an old boys club mentality. It's systemic, it's prevalent in the NHL. As a woman, um, the experience I have had online um, when things come up, um, you know, the Britannon situation and responding to that and um, things when I have sort of expressed my discomfort as a woman or as a person who might not be a typical NHL fan for most people, um, the responses I get back are negative, disgusting, horrific sometimes. Um, and so, yeah, I'm really freaking angry right now. Um, and I haven't digested it. It's just sitting right now in the anger. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think both of you articulated a lot of the same things I'm feeling right now. I think what's frustrating is that, um, it took this long. Uh, that's the thing that I think bothers me the most is that all of the apologies, all of the placating on all of the sort of like, like as much of its legal jargon, as much as it's PR, all of it is too, it's just too little too late. I mean, this should have been dealt with a decade ago. This should have been dealt with the day after the fact that Brad Aldridge went on a Stanley cup parade with the Stanley cup is a, is, is an absolute farce. The fact that he then went and assaulted another child because the Blackhawks didn't prevent that from happening to protect their own organization at what cost? 
at what cost, right? There's absolutely, and, 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 you know, we joked a little bit with each other on the last episode about the Astros and the $5 million fine. The NHL fined the Chicago Blackhawks $2 million. $2 million. Yes. Right? Less than they make at one home game. I mean, that is an insult. And maybe it's because they're not yet done. Maybe there's still more investigation to be done. But for me, it just shows, again, this lack of seriousness in this situation. You know, we're... Where, where's the accountability? Where's the actual, uh, we, we have all of this lovely PR around this sports for everybody. And we, we, we have, you know, rainbow tape and we have all of these inclusivity initiatives. And yet there's no actual follow through when this kind of behavior is allowed to happen. Not just the sexual violence part of it, but clearly the misogyny and homophobia that was rampant in that room that came out in this investigation, the toxic masculinity that was, in, that was a part of this, just the, the, the absolutely disgustingly toxic culture surrounding that organization. And frankly, that is probably prevalent in many of those locker rooms and is not being dealt with because the NHL doesn't have the teeth or chooses not to use the teeth to actually hold them accountable when you have an obvious and, and like clearly evident evidence-based investigation that has laid out the the facts behind this. There are many people associated with this organization who are just going to walk completely free of any form of consequence. I don't know what the consequence is for the players in the conversation around whether or not they knew or not. They knew at some point and still said nothing. That's still that's still something that has to be considered. You know, if you know that someone has been sexually assaulted a year after they happen and you do nothing to support that person or report it, are you not still just as responsible as people who knew two days after? I mean, that's just, that's just the reality of it. If you know this is happening and not, especially when you then find out later that Brad Aldridge has committed another crime that you are aware of, literally charged and convicted of, and you know that this person had a pattern of behavior before that affected another human being and you do nothing about it, that says something much deeper to the core of the problem that we're not dealing with. And I think the NHL, you know, you can pat the NHL on the back for some of the things they're trying to do here, but that's all it is. It's just placating. You're just patting them on the back. There's no actual, they shouldn't be commended for anything they've done so far, because frankly, as far as I'm concerned, none of it's been far enough, you know? And there's many people too. Where's Mark Bergevin's phone call? Where's the other people we know were in those conversations? Sure. Good. I'm glad that there was swift and decisive action on Stan Bowman and on, uh, and on, um, uh, Quenville once the report was out. That's good. But there wasn't. Joe Quenville I mean, was, was on the there? bench for a game. That's there wasn't. True. That's true. He played a game. He played yeah, yeah. A, he, he was true. on the bench. Sure. And then and then decided not well, he put he wasn't going to be a, involved for a presser after not being able to, to speak. I'm sorry. If you're doing your job, that's part of your job. So if you're on the bench, then you show up after. Yeah. No, you're that right. was a you're scared right. little move of someone with no backbone. Yeah. And then it's embarrassing. Yeah. And I get. Look, at, I, I can, I can, I'll let, yeah, Elliot, I'll let you get back in in a second. I just, I'll say one more thing. I, I understand from the legality part of it, why the Chicago Blackhawks are still being careful. They are in a lawsuit. Yeah. The point is at this point, why are you in a lawsuit anymore? This is so evident, evidently your, your responsibility. If you actually gave a shit about this, you drop the law. Like you, you, you would just, you would just settle. Just you would settle. just accept well, I mean, the responsibility. They may be in that place too. I, I, I think the public pressure is going to push them to that place. I mean, to be seen to be fighting a lawsuit with this guy after the credibility with and and uh, with which he came forward on Wednesday, I just don't see it. I, I think the NHL is going to tell them they have to deal with it. Maybe. Time. I don't know, Elliot. We've seen a lot of this. Currently, Justin Trudeau is well, still fighting a lawsuit with the survivors of residential schools. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. It's true. 
and uh, and you're not and you're not wrong about that. And well, you know, obviously, it ends up always becoming a money issue, which to me is incredibly frustrating. The other thing I would say the NHL has done right in this situation is that they've elevated it to the level that it needs to elevate. Gary Bettman has seemed to be taking this on, and this is his thing and his fish, and he's going to own it. And 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 in some ways, that's good because. Um, it's really his reputation on the line and, 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 you know, the, the, the buck stops with him and he's made that incredibly clear. And sometimes in the NHL, that doesn't always happen. Uh, you, you guys, I, you know, I, I think you had said everything that I, that I wanted to say, and I, and I wanted to just reiterate Jordan's point around because of their inaction, another in person, probably multiple other people, but a child got hurt because of their inaction and why that's not being said more some it's being said in some spaces, but it needs to be repeated because that's the gravity of the scale of which this failure was. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, the NHL, as you said, yes, it's good. Gary Bettman stepping forward. I said that the other day, I at least give him credit for being the face of it. You know, no one else should be there's that that would be wrong. Unfortunately, again, it's 10 years too late. Um, the question is, did the NHL know anything? We don't know that. I mean, it's hard because if, if what you're accusing the Chicago Black Sox, Blackhawks of is a cover-up, then it's plausible the NHL actually didn't know because the Blackhawks succeeded in their cover-up. Yeah, and, and then, you know, as, but then the NHL should be doubly upset with the Chicago Blackhawks yes. for the fact that, you know what I mean, that this is one of their organizations who's not only brought shame to their own organization, but to the league in general. And, and that, you know, $2 million, really? Like, where's the, you know, and okay, you're going to take Brad Aldridge's name off the Stanley Cup. How about the other people involved in this? I mean, where's the where's the real consequences? Can you imagine if this was in the NCAA, right? Reggie Bush accepted $10,000 from a scout once and, and had every single title from USC while he was there stripped from the school, right? I mean, some were going to, and look, I am no fan of the NCAA, right? That is overkill. But the NHL should at least be considering where are the real consequences here? Where do you, how can you make this hurt a little more than $2 million? Yeah, it's soft. All right, my favorite topic came from topic one of the Father's Day episode back in June, entitled Sticky Substances, featuring the MLB cracking down on sticky stuff. I chose this topic because it features me predominantly. Uh, We're going to deal with something that uh, none of us are experts in, but all of us, uh, I think, are mildly amused by. Uh, Major League Baseball, once again, has found itself in a sticky situation. Um, over the ca- past couple of years, we've constantly had these news stories come up where people are like, oh, this is the new steroid. This is the new crisis for Major League Baseball. A couple of years ago, it was the Houston Astros banging garbage cans and strapping electrodes to their nipples while they were hitting home runs to you know sig- signal check or what is it a call signs and yeah, things yeah. um and i'm not uh, sure about the last thing you just mentioned there but do you have any evidence that didn't happen <laughs> well, no, so it I could don't. have happened all right <laughs> yeah, evidence time, of nipple though. stimulation <laughs> during yeah, <laughs> yeah once that comes once that comes out there will be lots of players suspended all right major league baseball is cracking down now on um Sticky, sticky subs- substances. Yeah, sticky substances. Basically, what they're looking at is there has been a apparent um, uh, uptick in the number of cases of pitchers using foreign substances to affect ball trajectory. So whether it's sticky substances or slick substances, something that is changing the ability for the pitcher to grip the ball or to put spin on the ball that is not 
natural to their hands. It is not perspiration and it is not the resin that we've seen in those resin bags for years and years and which years. Which is legal. Which is legal. These are additional things that players have been using. Now, apparently this is a very long uh, problem that has existed in Major League Baseball pretty much for the last hundred years in different forms. And there are two rules technically already on the books that are to limit this. Rules uh, 3.01, which is about damaging or discoloring the ball, right? So pitchers can't change the color of the ball. That's more about the safety of the batter. No, they don't want you to rub it in the dirt so that the ball's darker. They need the player to be able to see the ball coming at them safely. That's that one. And then the second one that is about this is 6.02, subsection C and D about otherwise altering or applying any foreign substance to the ball. So you're allowed to sweat on the ball, I assume. Um, either way, Major League Baseball, once again, in the news for something other than baseball. Um, and obviously a lot of pitchers have been complaining and pushing back against this because they feel like it's going to affect them. I guess what they're suggesting is if I can't cheat, I can't win. Um, but either way, Major League Baseball cracking down on it. It's a weird story. Uh, I know this is a new story for you, Elliot. We sent you some, some article about it earlier. What, what are your initial thoughts when you heard that this was happening? And is this just another case of Major League Baseball and what the hell's gone wrong with America's favorite pastime? Uh, well, I'll answer the second question first and say, yeah, this is another example of um, this is this is what is it? It's, it's not it's it's the uh, symptom, not the cause. Right. Uh, or the symptom, not the, yeah, you know, like that there's, there's some significant issues in baseball that have been, uh, arisen in the last little bit. And I think the integrity of the game has really, has been really been put into question. And I, and I, and I really think this all kind of relates back to how poorly MLB relate, uh, dealt with steroids way back in the day, you mentioned off the bat um, and their uh, the inability bat. to sort of, yeah, you get that. Ah. All right. Off the bat. Fouled, I thought I'd foul that one off. Um ah. <laughs> But you know, you know, in all in all seriousness, like there's some serious issues around integrity uh, for MLB with regards to the sticky substance. I mean, I think it's one of those things. Either how you either go all in and people can do whatever they want, uh, or or you do a full, you know, enforcement piece. I, the problem with this is that this is like the MLB. Everyone knows this is going on. No one wants to address it. Then someone starts talking about it, and then it becomes an issue. And then MLB addresses it in a really shitty way. It's like this is a, this is the cycle for MLB. I'm not even surprised at this point uh, that it's at this place. Ultimately, you know what I think? I think the players should decide. If the players think that sticky substances should be allowed, then they should be allowed to use them. Heck, let's ha- invent some that are MLB branded and push them through the college ra- uh, rounds and, and, and do make it into like a, an actual thing. Um, or you have to say no, no, not at all. Players don't want this and and, and move on. But we this in between stuff just doesn't work anymore. The code has fallen apart for MLB. Yeah, the thing that's funny to me is, so the first thing is the, the suspension or the ban based on, you know, discovering the sticky substance is, I think, a 10-game suspension. So for these pitchers who are pitching one game out of five, out of five, you know, like, it's a two-game suspension. It means nothing to them at the end of the day. It isn't starts. Well, it is starts. So it would be punishment for 10 starts. Well, oh, I don't know if it starts. I don't know if it's, okay. I think it's games. Okay, okay. But it could be. I'd have to look further into that. If it, if it is, then I guess that, you know, that's a bit more severe. Um, when it comes to the actual, like, like, I agree with you, Elliot. I think, I think with something like this, 
it doesn't seem like there's all that much discussion between the players and the league as to what is actually you know uh fair or what is you know this is something that they've been doing for hundreds of years they've been using sticky substances i don't know what else to call it like they've been i guess the main one that they've been using is called um spider tack or something like that and that's the brand yeah the brand sure but players have been playing like they've been using it's not unknown to the league they've been using this for for years um so for them to all of a sudden go oh oh, let's let's crack down on this it seems kind of it's like okay well we dealt with that last one what's the next one that we can kind of cut down on and, and figure out how to how to make our game pure but the fact is like the game has been quote unquote pure for the last how many years i mean has it not really i mean that's the kind of the point with it with baseball is it feels to me like another example of major league baseball reacting to uh a problem rather than trying to prevent it like elliot was saying right this is the symptom not the cause the the, 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 the thing is, Major League Baseball for a very long time has kind of just accepted that. Well, as long as everyone equally gets an opportunity to cheat, is it really cheating? Right. You know what I mean? With all these different situations. It's like like sign calling or what – is that the right word? Yeah. yeah. Like where, where a player standing at second base can see between the legs of the back catcher, and if they have memorized or studied the other team well enough, they may be able to identify the difference between a fastball call and a, and a curveball sure, sure. and have some form of way to signal the batter. Right now, that has existed in baseball forever. That's right, part it's of the taught game. in major, in minor league, and in little league, and all yeah, of that. Yeah. But the truth is, it's technically against the rules. Okay, the difference with the Astros situation was that they were using some form of technology, external, external technology, yeah. just as another team was caught using smartwatches a few years ago to be signaling those, things. and that's where then it became controversial because it was like this is an advantage some other teams haven't yet figured out. Therefore, they this is giving one team a different advantage than everyone else who might be doing it the old-fashioned way. You know what I mean? With the sticky substance, like you said, it's like every pitcher has had an opportunity to, to rub a little bit of this on the inside of their ball cap or on the, the side of their neck pitches. or whatever they else. They all have different arm strength. They all have different locations. So the question becomes, why now? Why all of a sudden are we reacting to this? And, you know, much like we talked last week about the French Open and the way in which they kind of made the whole Naomi Osaka thing worse for themselves by kind of their ham-handed handling of it, I think this is another situation where Major League Baseball is just continually shooting themselves in the foot with how clumsy they are with dealing with these situations. They get caught with their pants down. Oh my God, we haven't dealt with this for so long. The problem is so systemic that we now have to come in, you know, with a much more aggressive uh, response to it that now we just kind of look like idiots as opposed to, you know, dealing with it one instance at a time for 10 years, which they yeah. just can't, you know, yeah. you can't go back, obviously. But it, it, it definitely, I think Major League Baseball comes out of it looking well, worse now, for We're work. also seeing pitchers, sit, you know, claiming that their, their injuries are being caused based on the fact that they're taking substance off of balls. And they have to either change the way they grip the ball, change the way they throw the ball, change all of their dynamics. Um, I'm only as good as the syrup on my fingies. Or the sunscreen and resin combination, yeah. which is legal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's- yeah, no, totally. I, one quick question for the two of you, because I'm sort of interested in your take. How much of this do you think is around, um, this is emerging because of the issues around the length of the games and, and frankly how dominant the pitchers are and the lack of scoring in the league? I don't think that it, it relates to the length of game and I think that it 
I mean, I, I've been watching the Blue Jays, and their pitching just sucks. So it looks like they haven't been using any of the sticky substances. Get um, these guys some syrup. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't know. That's a good question. I think that that's a separate issue. I think that the the length of the game is a completely separate issue that has to do with, you know. I guess it was more so the, the scores and games, the lack of hitting, the, the dominance that right. pitchers have right now. You know what I think it comes down to? Gambling. Mm. I think there is a much a higher level of scrutiny on all of these major leagues now in the United States because all of these leagues want to create partnerships with gambling operations and they want to increase the opportunities for gambling within their sports because they are starting to recognize the value that it adds to them economically. And I think that increasing certain parts of the integrity of these sports is critical to the strengthening of those relationships. Obviously, baseball has a very tenuous history with gambling. I mean, we still have uh, the greatest hitter, arguably, of all time, you know, banished from the league because of he was a chronic gambler. So baseball has its own problems to unpack there. But I do think that that's part of it. I think we're going to continue to have these questions about integrity. And baseball win in the margin is so thin because, it, you know, it's really a one-on-one head-to-head matchup for the majority of the game, yeah. pitcher, batter, yeah. uh, and the slightest additional edge to one or the other is a problem or is an advantage. So yeah. I think that's I'm, an excellent point. I'm not sure I'm pro sticky substance or any other foreign substance uh, to, to, to change the trajectory or the spin rate of the ball, but, but some guys won't be able to throw curveballs. Some guys won't be able to throw sliders. So then should they be in the Major League thing. Baseball? That's a, I mean, a good question. Yeah, yeah. That's a good question. Yeah, it's a good question. I but no... does does you know at the same question is is Odell Beckham Jr. pulling in one handed overhead grabs in the end zone without sticky, sticky tack on his gloves because yeah. that's in the NFL too, right? Like the technology that exists in all sports has increased and then you know become more advanced over time. The skates Connor McDavid is skating on are a thousand times better than what Wayne Gretzky or what Paul Coffey or any other you know considered fast player at one right. point was skating on because the technology is just advanced. Does it mean that he has an advantage over the other players he's competing against? No, they are all skating on the same technology mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. Is that the case in baseball? Yeah, I feel like this kind of a thing, you know, they introduced this ban like a week ago. Or no, it takes place this week yeah. uh, the, the, when they'll start to crack down. I feel like this is not the time that you want to... I, think, I feel like a, a change like that needs to be addressed in the offseason so that players can be, you know, uh, practicing with that in mind going to training camp and then into the season with that so that you're not seeing players... You know, you don't give the... You know, the, uh, the you don't you don't let the player then say, oh, well, this this you know my injury is now a result of the fact that you made this rule come into place. And you know. Braden just wanted to say sticky. Jordan sticky. didn't think this would be a good topic. But I, I didn't, think but it's very good. No, you're right. I mean, I, I no thought it was just a conversation about pine tar, and then I had to look into it. Well, and that's funny because that's allowed. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I guess agree. we'll. We'll see. It 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 it, uh, it it remains to be seen how it sort of plays out after the ban is in place and what the league sort of looks like post uh, lack of sticky substance. Uh, but we'll see what happens. Okay, uh, this is Jordan. It's my opportunity to um, share one of my favorite topics from the year. Uh, it was a busy year. There was a lot we talked about, all kinds of stuff, and and it was hard, frankly, to go back and pick what I wanted to talk about. But I thought. I knew Elliot was going to pick something serious and I knew Braden was probably going to pick something, you know, where he's featured predominantly. But, you know, one of the things we have had throughout the season uh, this year um, that I'm really proud of 
um, as one of the producers of the show is some awesome guests. We've had some really fun conversations with some, some people who have come on the show and I do want to give them a little shout out. You know, obviously we had Ray from Winnipeg and Jamie from Calgary. We had Devin Davidson from fantasy hockey hacks came on and did an awesome fantasy show with us. And my dad came on the show. Um, but we had two, two guests who came back a couple of times, uh, Larice Campbell. And then one of my favorite episodes of the entire season was when Tim Deller Coltman joined Elliot and I to talk uh, hockey, to talk, uh, vaccinations. And we talked about food and that is my topic, uh, that I've chosen for the year end show. Um, we broke down our favorite stadium snacks. It was right before the NHL and, and NBA were coming back. We were thinking about going back to watching sports live and chowing down on some, some awesome snacks. And three of us, you can almost hear us salivating by the end of the topic. We all had a lot of fun digging into it. We talked about our favorite, some of the weirdest ones and, and, and our, our dream scenarios. So this is it. This is our, uh, our topic on stadium snacks. Okay, topic three. We're gonna have a little bit of fun uh, because Tim is here and Tim is hungry. Um, we're gonna talk about uh, something sort of. I don't know. This is this is kind of a fun topic. We've done this a couple of times, but here it is. Fans are coming back to the stands. We've seen you know the capacity start to increase as the vaccine passport systems have been implemented in certain cities. We've talked about that just in the last topic about uh, every Canadian. NHL team is going to mandate fans proof of a vaccination. Many provinces are doing it just in general, obviously, um, because they're recognizing that it's critical. And so what's great about it, though, is we're going to start seeing fans in stands and maybe we ourselves will start to attend sporting events. And one of the great things about sporting events is paying for overpriced food at the concession. And this is something that most fans haven't been able to do for a couple of years. Who doesn't love going and buying like a $17 piece of pizza or a $25 burger? Or a hot dog the size of your forearm. Exactly. So what we wanted to dig into really quickly here is uh, we're going we're gonna to list the some. forearm dog. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> we're going to list some of our favorite um, uh, stadium snacks. And then we'll do like a round of that. And then what I've also offered up is I want to see if you can come up with a better thing you've never either seen or you've, or you want to see in one of these stadiums, right? So you get to make the menu. So we'll, we'll do, uh, basically we'll do it in, 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 actually let's do it in threes. So, cause it's Patrick, we'll do your favorite thing you've seen or had mm -hmm. the one thing you've seen, but never had like something you've heard about at another ballpark or another stadium or something. And then number three, what's your like wish list item? that work? All right. All right. We'll do it in like a little round. So I'll go first. The best like uh, stadium snack food item I've ever had is that what is now called Remax Field used to be, um, uh, was it Telus Field mm -hmm. for the longest time, home to uh, the Trappers and then later home to the Cracker Cats and then later home to the Edmonton Capitals. I think now the prospect. Terrible uh, mascot. Terrible mascot. Yeah, exactly. The Capitals. <laughs> But they had they had really good food, like impressively good food for like a tiny little minor league ballpark. And they had a pierogi hot dog. Oh, yeah. So it was the hot dog with some shaved like um, cactus fries. So it was like the potato, yeah. lots of smothered in cheese, uh, a little bit of sour cream. Bacon bits. And it had a kick and it was like a little spicy. Chive. That thing, though, was like... It was unreal. And it was like $8, Seven. but it was so good. So for me, my like favorite of all time is the pierogi hot dog at Telus Field. That's Tim, a good Tim one. what's your oh favorite God. of all time? That's a really good one. Um, Arena <clears throat> snack. 
Well, actually, it's uh, I don't I don't know if every baseball uh, diamond does this. I know I think the New York Yankees do this. I, I I'm pretty sure that uh, that Seattle does this as well. And if the Blue Jays don't, then the Blue Jays need to start doing this. And it's the ice cream in the cup that looks like a, a small little baseball cap. It's the cutest little the thing, batter helmet, the little yeah. batter helmet, right? Yes. You, you get, get your ice cream and then, yeah, your little yeah. sundae. And then and afterwards you go you home put, with a tiny oh, little, little cap. cap. Yeah, it's fun and, and silly and uh, overpriced. Overpriced for sure. Well, you're paying for the little cap. Right. Elliot, favorite, I'm gonna go, favorite stadium I'm gonna, snack? Yeah, I'm going to go in a total different direction. Um, you know, it's been well documented on this show and I talked about it a lot, but, I, you know, I was an avid Elks um, season ticket holder from the ages of like nine to 16. It's something I would do with my grandfather. And when right. we'd go to every game, he would buy me a foot long hot dog. Right. And it was like a tradition every year, every game. That was the first thing he'd go and he'd grab a coffee and I'd grab a foot long hot dog and then he'd bring snacks and stuff. And, We'd have chocolate bars and things like that. But th- that foot-long hot dog was sort of like the special thing. And, and it, there's nothing special about it. It's a foot-long hot dog at Commonwealth Stadium. <laughs> like, it's just like overpriced and long. And, and yeah, I was a kid, so I, didn't want, I just wanted to get right to the seats. So I wouldn't even put like mustard or mayo or mustard or ketchup on it. It was just like a plain foot-long hot dog. <laughs> and <that was> <laughs> thing. And, yeah, like it was just like so basic and boring. But I have this like real nostalgia around like, going to games and watching the then-esques, now Elks, uh, with my grandfather and him buying this for me too. So that would be my thing that I, when I think of like a, a, the snack that my favorite snack is, that always be that for nice. me. That's nice. That's so nice. the second thing I said was, what's the like snack or something you've heard of in a different ballpark or not ballpark? I don't know why we always go to ballparks, but it's kind of like, it's like the iconic thing. You the sit ballparks in, like, do have the best food. They you sit That's and like true. have a, you sit and like have a snack, right? Mm-hmm. But it was like, what is the what is the one thing you've never, I don't know that you've had or whatever or uh, heard of that you've never had a chance to eat? Um, I've never I've never had tacos, and I think tacos oh. would go really great with uh, with any game. Um, you know, just a couple small three like three to four tacos in a little tray. That um, sounds really good. Hey, maybe you could maybe you could make it into like a goalie uh, a goalie net. You know, oh, going fun. on this. Uh, You're really about the little souvenirs. souvenirs. That's right. You want a snack and a treat to take home. <laughs> That's right. Well, you know, I love Kinder I love it. Um, <laughs> I, it. This has just made me think of the most atrocious thing I've ever seen. That should have been a category. Uh, that should have been a category. Yeah, my wife yeah. and I, my wife and I went to Miami once and we went to a Dolphins preseason game because I'd never been to an NFL game at the time. And it was like, this will kind of be fun. We sat very high up at, I guess it's now Hard Rock. Uh, stadium i think and it used to be sun life or something dolphin stadium whatever it is now and we sat up in the nosebleeds watching a dallas cowboy miami dolphin preseason game that we just got cheap tickets for and she went she went she was gone for like maybe the entire second quarter to get food because she just wanted to go and see like every available option and what she came back with was the most disgusting thing I've ever seen in my life. It was a foot-long hot dog with about four pounds of chili on top. Ooh. It was actually, like, not physically edible. You couldn't – there was no possible way to eat a hot dog with that much chili on it. It's <laughs> almost like you had, like a, like, a barrel of chili and then a hot dog hidden in it. Nice. It was horrifying. And watching her try to eat it, I will never <laughs> get that out of my head because it's, like, honestly, like, it was not – physically possible for a human being to consume that 
without either just like eating it like a pig in a trough or what. And your best part was there's this guy sitting behind us who's just laughing the entire time. Anyway, my wife would be very embarrassed I told that story, but it's very funny. I, very I, think, I think she brought me like a hot dog with some ketchup on it, but she, she attempted this thing. Anyway, my go, my like go to one I've never had, but I've always wanted to. So you guys talk about, I do love a hot dog at, at, at an, a sporting event. Cause I don't, you know, you don't eat a hot dog very other places, maybe off of like a street cart in New York or something. Yeah. Right. But like a hot dog at a ball game or a hot dog at a football game is just, there's something that goes, it's easy. It's handheld, sure. right? Perfectly oh, yeah. designed. You got the beer in one hand, the hot dog in the other. I don't know. You might need two hands though. At Dodger stadium, which I actually have been to, but didn't I, now that I, I don't know why I didn't do this at the time. But they have a what they call the go the the going yard dog. That's okay. what I'm talking about. Forearm. It's the home run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This thing is sixteen point eight inches. Oh god. So it's longer <laughs> than a foot. Can oh, you so imagine? Two hands. That's a two hand That's hot right. dog. That's right. You gotta share that one. Wow. Uh, so I think that one's pretty good. That's anyway. Elliot, do you have one from somewhere else you've never tried? Yeah, I mean, I, it's sort of like famous, but the Philly cheesesteak at like the oh, Philly yeah. ballpark apparently oh, yeah, is yeah, like yeah. amazing. Um, and uh, I've actually like one of my goals is to go to Philadelphia and it's really for no other reason but to eat Philly, nice. uh, Philly cheesesteak. Uh, but yeah, I'd like a, I'd love a Philly cheesesteak sandwich mm. at, uh, at a Phillies game. That would be great. All right. What's the thing you have never seen, but wish you had? So you kind of said nachos, which I know exists, but is there anything else that's like, what's your like? The nachos. Oh, well, not, yeah, no nachos exist. I, I was thinking of a pickle, you know, you like see those at the, pickle? Well, not a deep fried. I think that's going too far. Just, Just a pickle. pickle on a stick. You see them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. I see them sometimes at the fairs and stuff. And I think people would love it. It would go really well. Pickle on a stick. Like a, like a sweet, like a, like a, no, like dill a, pickle. Like a sweet dill, 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 okay. dill pickle. Like a big old dill pickle. You call it, uh, you call it pickle by the foot. And you, oh my God, a foot long pickle. A foot long, <laughs> foot long pickle. Um, yeah. Put it in a little skewer. How are you, what are you doing? You're sitting at the, like, what, the 50 yard line eating a pickle for on the sure, stick? Yeah, for sure. It's a good crunch. And is it, it vertical or is it perpendicular no, no, to the stick? I think it's vertical. I think. What's your job? Well, I, I got I got all these foot long cucumbers. I got a pickle for <laughs> next year's season. So that's why. Uh... And then stick them on a popsicle stick. <laughs> that's right. No, you, you got to stick the stick in like when it's ready to go. But you have like a spatula that you'd like stick in. And that was what you were most. And then that'd be your takeaway. That'd be your takeaway, Tim, is that you get the spatula to come home with, and that yes. would be your spatula. Oh, yes, yes. Good. That's a great Make idea. Make it sports-related. It could be a hockey stick. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right, Elliot, what do you got? I just, I, like, I'm hard-pressed to, like, I sort of think this probably exists, but I would think, like, in Canada, why aren't we doing donaires at games? Oh, Like, God, it's a perfect yeah. one-handed thing. Oh, yeah. It's, like, super easy to hang on to, relatively quick to make. Sort of like a cultural phenomenon related to, you know, Canada in general. Like, why aren't we get? Why don't we get donairs at hockey games? Definitely, I don't that's know. A, that's a really good one. That's a really good one. Definitely. I was gonna go with something much more like trivial and silly. When you go to Disneyland, mm -hmm. you can get a turkey leg. What? Right? You know the turkey leg? It's like a full like the drumstick. So, but I want it as a hot wing. Because I love hot wings at like a sports bar, but hot wings at like a game would be really hard because it, it's messy. But if you had one 
really big hot wing. Yeah, it was just like, like a, a drumstick. Yeah, exactly. And then I love that idea. At, at the you know you eat that or whatever. Yes. It's a big hot wing flavored yes. drumstick. Yeah, you drum. And then you have a massive. You, in the you other. have like you have a massive bowl of ranch that you have there to you dip, it dip it in. That's as perfect. You go. That's perfect. And then uh, to That's make great. sure I check all the boxes yeah. for Tim, yeah. you get to take the chicken leg home at the end of the night. The bone <laughs> is perfect. That's right. <laughs> all right. Well, we're all we're all now sitting here feeling very gluttonous, but um, yeah, in in short order, we'll all be back at stadiums watching hockey games and eating things and dreaming of even better options. So, um, and all you Oilers fans, when you get back to Rogers Arena, make sure you order a nice big slice of uh, Pizza Seventy Three because for some reason it tastes so much better at the stadium than it does when you order it at home, and it's also like four times the size. Unbelievable, love that. Can I can I just give an honorable mention to the beer at the old Rexall place, like that crap beer whatever they used to call it like that beer was something special <laughs> that, at coliseum it's not the same now at the new arena but that old coliseum mm. there was something in the lines there that that nice <clears throat> the old the old the old rexall beers you can't forget about those nice, mm. nice i gotta nice. also maybe get a shout out for a, a good long churro oh yeah you know that's always good it's a nice and handheld it always comes down to the it's got to be convenient right Absolutely. like you couldn't you can't that's the, the problem with the chili dog <laughs> You have to be able to eat it in your yeah, seat. Unless it comes with a spoon, it's I'm, not worth it. I'm just so looking forward to like the busy bee vegan ad before it. <laughs> okay, that's it. That's our year in review. Those were our three favorite topics from this year in sports, this year in Hattrick. I want to first personally thank Elliot and Braden for a great year. I want to thank all of the guests we have had this season uh, over the course of the year. Um, we had some great conversations, some great um, contributions made by some awesome people. And we really hope that they had as much fun as we did. Next year, in a couple of weeks, we will be back with uh, in 2022. And we'll be back talking sports, as well as just conversations about what's going on. I want to thank you, our fans, our listeners. Thanks for tuning in each week. Thanks for downloading, subscribing, following us on Instagram. Um, interacting every different way you have been. It's awesome. We really appreciate it. And we really hope you've enjoyed 2021 as much as we have. And we look forward to 2022. Happy holidays. Happy new year. We'll talk to you soon. That's Hattrick. Hattrick is a member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It's produced every week by Jordan Dyler coltman and Braden Dyler coltman and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue 
which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.